Max Dupree, a writer in leadership, he said that uh, the first role of a leader is to define reality. The last role of a leader is to say thanks. And in between, a leader is a servant. Uh, I hope that in the last two messages to you, I have been able to define reality for you. The world is crippled and is lost. Sometimes the church is behind the ball game. That's a reality. And sometimes uh, the church is uh, more a spectator than it is an active member. That's the reality. But another reality is that the church is at work. The church is at work. Well, if you are like me and you are in, in conventions, and I, I, I got to confess to you, I love assemblies and conventions. So I probably need a shrink. <laughs> I do. I, I, I kind of like assemblies and conventions. But I have a very, 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 very short attention span. In fact, uh, I, I wish assemblies and conventions will be 30 minutes. <laughs> and God's people said. <laughs> but, you know, uh, we got we to gotta do what we got to do. And, and by now, if, you know, one of the things of doing the closing sermon is that most people are already uh, tired, uh, gone, detached, Bored, all of the above. So what can I tell you in the next three hours that I haven't told you before? Okay, two hours. Well, time is not a problem. You know, a friend from, from Africa told me, you know what, people in the West, they own their watches but we own the time. Yeah, it's true. A, a Guatemalan asked for an appointment with God. And uh, God gave him an appointment. You know, God gives us appointments anytime. Jeremiah 33 says, call unto me anytime. But being a Guatemalan, he kind of went too far, and he said, Lord, I have a question for you. Is that true? Is that true that, that a thousand years for you are like a second? And he said, yeah. I mean, Scripture says that a thousand days, years are like a day. So you could, in time is your definition. Chronos is your definition. I live on Kairos. God said, yeah, yeah, you could say that. A thousand years are like a second for me. Oh, good. Lord, since we are talking, is that true that a million dollars are like a cent? For you. And God said, of course. I own everything. Everything. I'm the creator. I'm the owner of everything. You, you can say that a million dollars for me are like a cent. Being a good Guatemalan, he said, Lord, can I have a cent? <laughs> and the Lord said, sure. Just wait a second. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak only for three seconds. 
I have, uh, I have had the privilege of, of trying to help define reality, but I, I decided that now I want to say thank you. This has been the, the theme of the afternoon. I hadn't thought about it, but this is the theme of the afternoon. Wallace said thank you. The people, the, the poor who are being fed, they say thank you. Thank you has a different connotation when it's delivered in person. Before I say thank you, I would like to ask you a question. What would you do if I told you that uh, we, can, we can yield a million to one of your investments? What if I told you that for every dollar that you invest, we will give you back one million? What do you think about it? You, you, you could wait an eternity if you want, but, but what would you say if, 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 if somebody would come to you and say, listen, I have, a, I have a great investment proposition to you. You invest, and for every dollar you invest, you will get back one million. You would probably say, wow, that sounds like a great proposition. However, we are humans, and the first thing that we, that we will think about is this, this must be a scam. A pyramid. You know, people, uh, I told you about, uh, about Kosovo in, Al in Albania. Albania had a massive crisis because when in the, uh, in the late 90s, when, when Albania opened up and, and they started talking about finances, a smart guy came and, dis and developed a pyramid scheme. Said, you know, you, you give me one, one dollar and then in, in, in six months you're going to get ten. And, and if you give me ten dollars in six months you're going to get a thousand. And people got excited because... You know, we really get excited about, a, about multiplying the money quickly. Unfortunately, all of these are pyramid scams. Don't trust anyone who comes and tells you that if you give us a dollar, we're going to bring you back a million. Don't trust them. Okay? However, I have a proposal for you. <laughs> for every dollar that you give, we're going to give you back a million. Yeah, it works in missions. That's how it works. It, it does. I'm going to prove this to you. I'm going to prove this to you. But to prove this to you, I got to tell you a story. You know, in missions, you got to tell a story. There was a time that we had to have, you remember that missionaries had to have a slideshow? You remember that, those times? They, they carry this carousel and they put all these slides, and missionaries were required to have a slideshow. Now they have to show a video. Oh, it's too sophisticated. During my first years as a missionary, I always traveled with a slide here in my pocket. And when people said, Do you, are you going to show us, are you going to have a slideshow? I would say, yes. And I just went like this <laughs> and put it back. And said, I took care of it, so I'm a good missionary. You have the slideshow, now I can go on. <laughs> so I got to tell you a story. Missionaries have to tell stories. That's what they tell us. If you're a missionary and you're going to go to a convention, you got to tell stories. Without stories, people who go to the convention, they get bored. That's what they tell me. So I'm going to tell you a story. It's a cool story. It comes from the storybook. Let us stand up to read the storybook. It's a story from the missionary himself. He's writing to people like you. And I'm just going to bring it back to life 
2,000 years or so later. He writes to the first church in Europe, to the Philippians, chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. The Word of God. You may be seated. We have read this a lot. In fact, many of us read this as an introduction, as part of the introduction. And then we, we, we go quickly to the meat of the, of the Scripture. This is, kind of, this is kind of one of those letters that, uh, that we, 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 we live in a hurry. We, we really live in a hurry. And a lot of us, we don't like salutations. We just skip the salutation because we want to get to the meat of the letter. In fact, I got to confess that as a general superintendent, there are countries that, are, that are, have been part of the, of the British Commonwealth where the assemblies, every report starts with 45 seconds of dear general superintendent, Dr. Gustavo A. Crocker, dear district superintendent, the most highest reverend, Dr. Ian Fitzpatrick. And then after 30 seconds, after 30 seconds, then they start with the report. Well, you multiply 30 seconds of salutation times 100 pastors, and then you just had a day. <laughs> so being the pragmatist I am, I basically came up with an idea and just said, we're going to have all the reports, and this, the first salutation will take care of the next 150. <laughs> Is there a motion? And everybody has the motion, and the emotions, and all of they move, and all of these. And once everybody has expressed their emotions through a motion, then we take care of all the salutations. You know what I mean? Get ready for tomorrow. We rush through the salutation, don't we? We just want to get to the meat of it. So most of us have gone on Philippians, and we just run, and then we just we love the story of Paul being in chains. That part, Paul is in chains, and now he's the message. And then he goes to Philippians 2 when he talks about the attitude of Christ. But we rush through the salutation. How many of you have preached from salutations? Well, I'm preaching from salutation. 
And this is, this is the reason why. The reason I'm, I'm, is because when I read this, and I read this over and over and over again, then I realize that Paul was really thankful for a missionary church. It was not just a salutation. It was not just a to, to fill paper. Paul was saying, every time, every time I think of you, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. You know, I was preparing for, for the, the sermon uh, this afternoon. I was preparing this morning. Not really. I was praying for this afternoon when the Lord gave me this scripture again. But as I was preparing for this afternoon, the Lord gave me this scripture for, for the BGS secretaries at the, at, at the Global Ministry Center. And I was there in prayer. While you were praying, I'm praying for them. And I'm praying for these six ladies who, who have the humongous task of, of supporting six individuals who are as different as day and night. And then that have to support 460 districts who are, that are different and to support 2.5 million Nazarenes, that's a task. It's a huge task for six people. And the Lord gave me this scripture for them and I sent it to them. I thank Lord every time. I thank God every time I think of you. See, let me confess that I may be a general superintendent, but that's just, that's just the title. I was a regional director. I realized that was just the title. And you know, titles are things that they give us so that we could use them to print business cards. <laughs> we need to keep the business, the, the print, printing industry alive, so we get a title. But here, between us, not because this is the convention, I, I, lo I, I, I really believe, my wife and I really believe that the day that, that we meet our maker and, and that they put something on our tombstone, if they do, we want for this to say, they were missionaries. That's really what we are. I signed up to be a missionary. People, I'm being recorded, they ask me, well, you're a general superintendent, how, uh, have you been a pastor? No, I have not. I was a youth leader. That was it. And then I became a missionary. Does that make me less of a general superintendent? I don't care. <laughs> because I signed up to be a missionary. That's what we signed up to be. It doesn't make us more or less than the other elders in the church. We just signed up to be missionaries. As a general superintendent, we are a missionary. As a regional director, I was a missionary. And, and my wife and I, we know that if, if today we get a call that says, you know what, we're closing the shop and you're going as missionaries, you know what, we would say hallelujah. Because that's who we are. It's in our DNA. We're missionaries. So I understand Paul. Now, I'm not saying that we are holier than thou, pastor, no. And I'm not saying that being a pastor is less than being a missionary or vice versa. No. We have been called to blossom where we have been planted. And we are missionaries. Unapologetically so. We're missionaries and our mission field now is the Board of General Superintendents. It's Kansas City. But we're missionaries. That's why I understand Paul. I understand Paul because Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, thank you. Every time I remember you, thank you. And this is why. 
Because Paul understood that his assignment, his beautiful feet, his delivering the good news could not happen without a, a delivery system that was supporting him. So when he says, every time I think of you, I thank God for you. And we, we have many times when, when we were in, in Switzerland and, and our daughter who was 15 years old, she had to go to a school and she was 15 and had to learn German or start all over again to, to begin studying. And we made the consideration, you know what? We're not, going to, we're not going to put our daughter to start again from, from seventh grade. Well, she's only three years from, from finishing. And, but schooling here is, is expensive. It's madly expensive. It's almost like, like sending your child to Harvard. And we said, you know, we, we said, Lord, uh, we cannot put this burden on the church. And we cannot afford to send our kid to school. And then the church put our daughter through school. Now she's a nurse. Every time I think of those things, I thank God for you. We have one of the best systems. It's interesting how the Apostle Paul is writing to them because, because he's writing to the church in Philippi. And, and I want you to know that Paul was an outstanding fundraiser. He was kind of slick. See, he's writing to the church and he says, I want to tell you how much I thank God for you because of your partnership in the gospel. This is an incredible term. Partnership is an incredible word. The Apostle Paul is basically saying, I'm not the only missionary. We are. Let me tell you that we are all part of this equation, he said. See, somebody has to go. Somebody has to send. Somebody has to pray. Somebody has to pack. Somebody has to ship. Somebody has to put stamps. Everybody together. We are working together in partnership. This is an incredible work, word. Paul is not saying, every time I think of you, I thank God because you are funding me. That's not what he said. Every time I think of you, I thank God because you're paying your budget and I'm doing the work. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, every time I think of you, I thank God for your partnership in the gospel. And you know what partnership means? That means that you and I are working together in a common venture and we are both investing in it. And it's not like the investment, it's not like this investment, you know, the, the chicken was, was talking to to the, poor, to, the, to, the, to, to the pig and says, breakfast is so awesome, isn't it? <laughs> isn't that nice? How do we contribute to breakfast? And the pig said, of course, you only lay eggs. I lay my life. <laughs> because when you talk about eggs and bacon, those are different, two, sto two different stories. 
No, that's not what I'm talking about. Partnership means you and us are together part of God's venture. I also find it interesting the way he says partnership in the gospel. See, you may, you may make this connection. Let me just make the connection how slick Paul was. Philippi is the capital of the province of Macedonia. That was the first place where the church was established in Europe. You remember Acts chapter 16? Paul is going to Pisidia, and he tells his team, I'm going to Pisidia, and, and he, they make all the flags, and, and everybody to Pisidia, and, you know, and, and they organize the team and everything. And then that night, the Lord said, nope, you're not going there. And now he has to come up with his team. You remember that story? And tells them, guys, guys, it was the pizza. It was not the Lord. Burn all the banners. Burn everything. We gotta, we're going to Asia. Okay, Asia. So they organize Asia, and they have this, this slogan, Asia for Christ, and then they have one banner on this side, the other on the other side that said, all, 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 all for Asia and all of this, and, and they are ready, and that night the Lord says, nope. And he, how embarrassing it is. He comes to his team, and he says, guys, guys, it was the Mexican tacos. <laughs> and now he has a dream of a Macedonian. Remember the Macedonian call? The man from Macedonia who calls and says, come. And now he says, oh, we got to go to Macedonia. And they go to Macedonia. And they, they visit Macedonia and they establish the first church in European soil in Macedonia. In the house of Lydia. Remember the story. The man from Macedonia was a woman. <laughs> Interesting. There is where the church was established. Now, he writes to the Philippians... I thank God every time I remember you. You look at Romans 15, and in Romans 15 he says, I want you to the Romans. I want to pray for me because I'm taking an offering from the Macedonians who out of their wealth, they're sharing their wealth with the poor in Jerusalem. Are you getting, are you tracking this? Paul is telling the Romans, I'm going, pray for me because I'm going to Jerusalem to take an offering from the wealthy Macedonians who are sharing their wealth with the poor in Jerusalem. But then he writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8. He says to the Corinthians, I want you to know about the church in Macedonia who out of their extreme poverty wait a second that Paul is talking from both sides of his mouth he is slick he's telling the Romans that the Macedonians out of their wealth are sharing with the people in Jerusalem who are very poor but now he's telling the Corinthians that the Macedonians, same people, out of their poverty, they're giving. 
Well, let me, ta- let me talk to you because you are the Macedonians. When Paul is writing to the Philippians and he says, every time I think of you, I thank God for your partnership in the gospel, he's not telling them how much do they give. In the equation of missions, what counts is not how much you give, but your sacrifice. In our denomination, we're not talking about, we're going to bow down to those who give more dollars, and we're going to dismiss those who give less dollars. We're going to celebrate all of those who give their 5.5% of whatever. 5.5% of one dollar for those who make a dollar a day. 5.5% of a million for those who make a million a day. The issue is not equal amount of giving. The issue is equal sacrifice. And that's what Apostle Paul is saying. See, Macedonia is is the same town. It's you. It's Canada. But if we compare Canada, if we compare the economy, the Canadian economy would say, well, I want to compare to you guys with the economy of New York. You know that the economy is a little bit different. Or, or, or the giving of the church in the, in the Atlantic, in, in, the, in the maritime, is different from the economy of this part. Paul is not saying, well, you know what, the, the, the ones in central Canada, because they are in the financial center of Canada, oh, they're awesome because, look, they give this much. But the ones in the maritime, you know, they just, eh. No. It's the same Macedonia, but what happens is this. For the wealthy people in the, in the New York capital, financial capital, this Macedonia may be poor. But for Cubans, this Macedonia is extremely wealthy. You've seen Cuba. You've been to Cuba. What Paul is saying here is that the issue is not that we only give out of our wealth and we don't give because we are poor. Paul is saying, forget about these human distinctions. Those are our inventions. We are the ones who say, who, who have applied the golden rule. He who has the gold rules. That's human. Forgive me, but that's almost carnal. What Paul is saying, forget about all this human junk. Let me just tell you, every time I think of you, I thank God because of your partnership in the gospel. I thank God for your faithfulness to the cause of the kingdom. And I will deliver, I have delivered this sermon standing in front of the Cuban church. You know, I I was in Havana at the district assembly, some of you were there when they gave me on behalf of the Cuban church, they gave me an envelope with all their WEF, and their WEF totaled $400. You were there when they gave me the, the, the check, some of you were there, and it was an envelope with $400. Okay, $400 is not even the cost of, of a luncheon at this event. But for the Cuban church, $400 was the salary, one month salary of all the pastors in Cuba. 
It's not how much they gave. It's the fact that they joined together in the partnership with the gospel. And that's what Paul is saying. Every time I think of you, I thank God for your partnership in the gospel. Well, it's amazing how when talking to the Corinthians, Paul referred to the Macedonians as poor, but when talking in relationship to Jerusalem, they were wealthy. That is the human thing. But for Paul, if you look at the scripture and you look at figures that you don't even think they existed, Epaphroditus, I love Epaphroditus. Not only I love it because I don't know how to spell his name. I love Epaphroditus because Epaphroditus is, is, the, is the Pauline version of NMI. That's what it is. Epaphroditus was the guy along with Titus. Titus for Corinth, Epaphroditus for Macedonia. There were two guys that their job was to talk and to do deputation and to raise funds and then to take them to Paul so that Paul could continue the work on the front line. And when he writes to the Corinthians and to the Philippians, he says, oh, I'm so thankful for Epaphroditus. They are not on the platform. They are not the big guys. They are not, they are not the one with the flashy flags and everything. But you know what? They are the guys who are collecting the offering for the saints. Thank you. You are Epaphroditus. Because you take the message to your local church and there to the local church in your own Macedonia. You are doing the same work that Epaphroditus and Titus were doing at the very beginning of the church. Going running, collecting, connecting, and sending. This would be a great sermon and would stay as a sermon only. But I have seen it from both sides of the equation. As a missionary, my family and I have been blessed by the faithful partnership of the Nazarene family. The Board of General Superintendents, we are your missionaries. We are part of your faithful giving. We are. As a missionary in Ecuador, we saw it. We stayed in a house paid for by WEF. We drove a car paid for by WEF, and we delivered Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. We were that deliver, delivery that faithful Nazarenes gave all over the world. I have managed hundreds of millions of dollars so that the missionaries could go and deliver and their families cared for so that the abandonment of family and home and friends and fellowship could be minimized a little bit. I've been on that side. But I have been on the other side. I remember that uh, when I grew up, I grew up under the empire of grace. The Church of the Nazarene decided to go to my country about 100 and 
12 years ago. They went to Guatemala. And they established the church. Nazarene missionaries have always been crazy. Imagine, they went to a small town called San Jerónimo in the north Verapaz of Guatemala. They went, and, and those Nazarenes, they would open churches next to bars, to pubs. So they opened a Nazarene church next to a bar in the small town where my dad was the telegrapher. My dad was the grandson of a, of a British merchant who ended up being a telegrapher in the small town, small town that was comprised of peasants and former slaves brought by the Jesuits to work in this unhealthy malaria-infested town. My dad was sent there as a bureaucrat, as a civil servant. He was the, he was the epitome of the Latin American macho. He was a drunk, womanizer, abusive, He was mean, so they told me. My, young, my oldest sister, Vilma, was seven years old. And she was on her way to catechism for her first communion or whatever. And uh, a missionary had just started VBS in our town. A pious Nazarene came to my sister and said, Vilma, do you want to come to VBS? And my sister said, is that more exciting than catechism? <laughs> and she said, yes. So my sister went. She arrived, and at seven years of age, my sister gave her heart to the Lord. That little girl brought the entire family to Christ. But it didn't happen without its bumps on the road. See, my dad found out that my sister was spending too much time at the church. He didn't like that. And, and one day, he, he, just, he asked my mother, where's Vilma? And my mother, that's how the legend goes. I wasn't born yet. My mom says, I don't know. That was her cue for she's at church. So, story goes that my dad went and he said, I know where she is. She's at church. I'm going to go, and if she's at church, I'm going to drag her out from her ponytail, and if the pastor, this little thing, is there, I'm going to punch him. I've always wanted to punch him, but I just needed to have an excuse. <laughs> My dad was this tall, white, grandson of a British man. Can you see the resemblance? <laughs> anyway... My dad starts walking, but I told you that next to the church, that next, to, next to the church, there was a bar. Nazarenes opened churches next to bars. My dad is walking on his way. He's, he's, he's walking this half a mile between the post office and the church at the end of town, and he is stomping his feet, and he decides to get some courage, so he goes to the bar first. He goes to the bar, and he gets enough courage and he was so drunk that he, get in, he got into the church looking for my sister, and he found Jesus. Never to drink again. The history, the history of the Crocker family is just like the history of mankind. The history of our family is measured 
before Christ and after Christ. Before Christ, all the legends that my older siblings and mom talked about was that it was hell. But then my father found Jesus at a missionary planted Nazarene church thanks to a girl who went to a missionary implemented vacation Bible school. And the life of the Crocker family changed from hell to heaven. Well, fast forward. I grew up in Nazarene. I told you that I grew up in Nazarene and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I kind of... But then he found me. I was hiding. He found me. I was running away. He found me. Now I'm, I'm working for Compassionate Ministries. I... I, I <laughs> That was a different story. You want to hear the story of my calling come tomorrow? But now I'm coming back, and it's 92. I'm an architect. We come to the dedication of the regional office that I had designed by other different kind of story. I had designed the regional office. We come to the dedication. Stanley's story, enormous story, were the missionaries at that time. He was the work and witness coordinator. He was our friend. In fact, he was, he was so... So enamored with this, national, this group of nationals doing work and witness that he left the regional office and joined and moved his office to our construction firm. And that's where he had his office. So it was the time, and, and now Stanley is 65 and about to retire. So I come to, to dad. At the, I flew from Kansas City for the farewell. And, and we are there at the dedication farewell. And I went to dad and I said, dad, dad, do you know Stanley's story? And his eyes just went wide open. He said, oh, yes, el gringo. <laughs> and I said, how do you know him? Wait, wait. So he went, here's my dad in his 70s. And he went and got a photo album that was a shoebox, like the ones you have. And then in that shoebox, he found a used-to-be black and white picture. Now it was yellow and brown. You remember those? Yeah, you have those. And from the picture, he got the picture, and there he was. He said, look, look, look. Here in the picture, there is Stanley and Norma. They are these blonde kids from California in their 30s in the bush of Guatemala. Those guys who, who were the friends of this architect now, 35 years later, they are baptizing my mom and my dad by the river in San Jerónimo. There in my mom's arms, there is a one-year-old spoiled brat with glasses looking at the camera. I'm like, always clueless. They are being baptized and they are crying their eyes out and I'm like, that's the story of my life. We gave him a copy of the picture as a retirement gift. In a very private setting, Stanley said to me, Gustavo, I've given 35 years of my life in your country. Now is your turn to give your life in at least 35 countries. And that was 1992. 12 years later, I was elected as regional director. The Eurasia region covered 34 countries. 
I, I don't know if, if it was worth it all the millions of dollars that the church invested in sending Stanley and Norma to the bush of Guatemala. But even if the only family that was reached because of all these millions of dollars was the Crocker family in this malaria-infested part of the world, even if that would have been the only family, that would have been worth every, every dollar. For I understand that my life and your life is worth more than millions. I have now the awesome, humbling privilege to oversee a denomination of 2.5 million Nazarenes. So it works. It works. When I was watching Wallace, <laughs> I'm thinking, wow, this guy is the principal of, of, a, of a Bible school in a place where, where people walk naked all the time and he's wearing clothes. <laughs> Amazing. You know, I remember seeing the missionary come into my town in Guatemala and they, they would come on a, on a Jeep, on a Willis. I remember that and my dream was, my dream of dreams was to be the driver of the missionary. Every time I think of you, I thank my God for your partnership in the gospel. Being confident of this, that he who started a good work in you and in you and in me will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And only that day, the Great Commission will be fulfilled. In the meantime, let's get with the program. God bless you. <laughs>